Welcome to the Business Design Podcast. I am most days Dr. Kent. And I am nearly every day Randy Baker, but some people call me Hugo. <laughs> Hugo's there. Hugh, well, Hugo. But anyway, on the Business Design Podcast, we find some interesting folk. And today we're going to talk to Anza. Anza Goodbar. Now, she has a fun story about her last name, about Mr. Goodbar, to be honest. Meant both ways. And not only that, we also, I mean, she tells one of my favorite stories that anybody's ever told on this podcast. And it has everything to do with a microwave, which is kind of interesting because she's not really an alien. <laughs> it might be the most quaint and amusing story I've ever heard about microwaves. So, you know, keep listening. Yeah. So here we go. Here's our interview with Anza. Anza, goodbye. Hello, Anza. Did I say that correctly? You did. Good morning. Do, do people say Anza, Anza, Anze? How many different variations are um. there? <laughs> you know, it's funny. People don't know what to do with the letters in my name. Um, it depends on where they're from. People in the Midwest call me Anza. People from Europe call me Anza. People from Denver call me Anza. And so I always tell people, however it rolls naturally off your tongue, I'm fine with. But I'm also called Inga and Anaz. And, you know, it, it's just an unusual name. And people have a hard time deciphering what it should be, especially if they're dyslexic. <laughs> and what, is it, what does it mean, Anza? It actually means filled with beauty and grace. Hmm. That's I know. Nice. Isn't that fun? And how did you how did you end up with that name? You stumbled into it, obviously. I did. I did. Um, you know, it is just the Lithuanian form of Anne, and there you have it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, and I have to say, I mean, let's let's go deep on your name. So, Goodbar is about the coolest name ever. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's because it's linked to chocolate, but it is a pretty cool name. So, what's the, what's the origin of that? It's actually my ex-husband's name, and it was such a cool name, I didn't give it up. And I'll tell you what, it's always a great conversation starter. I always tell people it's like the Mr. Good Bar candy bar. I'm sweet and salty, and, uh, you know, it always brings a nice little giggle. So, in the salt, yeah, as a, as a cook or <laughs> amateur cook, salt was the funniest thing to learn. You know, sweet food, put that salt in there. Yeah. So what's what's the salt you provide uh, in your sort of life and business? You know, I think the salt comes from my life experience, my ability to be able to look through all of the clutter and be able to get to the heart of the matter and, and do it quickly and come up with solutions. Love that. That was yeah. that was clean, uh, as if you might have uh, said something like that before. <laughs> Maybe just once or twice. <laughs> nice. And I do have to say for the for the listeners, uh, Anza has about the coolest glasses I've ever seen. They're <laughs> they're they're surprising. And when when I asked her about them before the show, she said because because then you can see her eyebrows and so on, which you don't often think about that, but. Glasses cover up eyebrows. So what is it, I guess for our listeners, what is it that, that folks are kind of covering up uh, inadvertently 
where they should sort of get rid of the top the top uh, rim of their glasses metaphorically. Mm. You know, so much of communication happens through facial expression. And since the pandemic, so many people haven't had the opportunity to be face-to-face. And I think one of the things that we try and cover up is our insecurity or our lack of confidence in a certain area. And just, you know, using Zoom as a platform, just as an example, a lot of people really struggled with being on camera and worried about their appearance and how they were showing up and what their face was going to say. And, um, you know, it's just, I think, a, a freeing thing when we as human beings can interact with other people and really dive deeper in communication by not just hearing the words, but watching what people are doing with their face and how they're reacting to, you know, how the conversation's going back and forth. You can see so much like, oh, they weren't really sure about that. I need to clarify a little bit more. Or I can tell they're feeling a little shy. I need to make them feel really comfortable and maybe ask questions in a different way or ask more questions to pull out the information. And so I think that really helps when when we're able to look at people's face in totality. And I want to go back just a little bit and ask you a little about your past. Um, you were a mortgage banker. Yes. I was. Tell me about the interaction with your clients then and how much did that face interpretation that you can have or that body oh. language that they're expressing tell you about right. who they really were? Mm. So back in my mortgage banker days, we had a niche that worked specifically with people who had subprime credit. And so people who had less than a perfect credit score didn't always have a lot of hope in being able to get financed. But back between 2004 and 2008, there were a lot of products that were available. And so for our people, there was a lot of shame involved with what was on their credit report and things that had prevented them from having a traditional loan where you could just walk into your bank. A lot of them had been denied and so there was a lack of hope. Like I said, there was a lack of shame. And so it was really important to be able to make them feel like they could trust me with their most deep secrets, right? None of us want to wear all of our past failures on a sign and carry it around saying, hey, I skipped this bill, or hey, I had to file bankruptcy, or hey, I have all this medical stuff. It can conjure up a lot of desire to cover it up and just pretend like it doesn't take place or hadn't taken place. And so we really had to be able to allow them to tell what their true story was so we could increase the likelihood that our underwriters would underwrite and fund their loan. And, you know, because they had experienced so much judgment in the past, we had to be really intentional about creating a judgment-free zone and help them understand that their credit report didn't define who they were as a person. It was just a snapshot in time about what their financial journey looked like. That might be the kindest description of sort of the mortgage lending process or how to deal with clients that I've ever heard. I think that the remarkable and and it makes sense that you know you're still in marketing and branding but let's go into the root of that so did you did you grow up just 
understanding the value of kindness uh, alongside marketing and sales and all of that? Or, how, you know, where did you come across that? Mm. So both of my parents were entrepreneurs. And so from a very early age, like nine or 10, I was hanging out at our family business on the weekends after school. And by the time I was 11, I was working alongside my dad in this in our store. He had a um, appliance store. So we sold televisions, kitchen appliances, and this is going to date me, so don't laugh. But when microwave ovens came out, it was like the hottest rate. And so at 11, I was teaching housewives how to bake inside of a microwave oven. And, you know, just watching my dad, who espoused all of the Dale Carnegie training of the day, and is still relevant today, by the way, you know, I just saw the value in how you build client loyalty how you build referrals in your business. You know, we were in a small town. There wasn't a lot of other opportunities for people to visit competition, but certainly they could go to the Kmart or Woolco, which is kind of our target Walmart of the day, right? And pay a cheaper price, but they came to us for customer service. We provided service. We provided delivery and setup and all of those things. And, you know, from a very early age, my dad taught me is that if you take care of your customers, they're going to take care of you. You know, repeat business, referral business, providing testimonials and that type of thing. And that just was a natural segue for me when I became an entrepreneur and started building businesses on my own. Do you have any of that uh, microwave spiel still stuck in your mind? Can you give us a little of that? I, I'm, I am so interested. This 11-year-old sitting there talking about, you must remember a little bit. What was, what was, what were the features? What was the, how did you convince these, these folks? You know, I, I look at the early, early days and, and the big thing that we taught was how to do scrambled eggs, popcorn, and to make a cake that came out with the type of texture that would be delicious, right? And I don't know what I said. My dad helped me with the script, but on Saturday mornings, I'd have four or five women that would come in and we would mix the batter and we would bake the cake. And it was all about efficiency and time management. And, you know, it's going to free up your time to spend more time with your family, less time in the kitchen. And in the summertime, you're not going to have to heat up your house using the oven. You can use this wonderful microwave tool to, you know, reheat food or cook this or that or whatever. Did you have to handle objections? Did people say, oh my gosh, is it going to give us nuclear poisoning? Or <laughs> not? <laughs> no, surprisingly, no, that never came up. <laughs> That's interesting. I love yeah. that picture of this little, little girl. I mean, heck, I'd buy a microwave, <laughs> you know, right? that's so persuasive, right? So very, yeah. very interesting. And going, yeah. kind of going into your father a little bit more, was he the one of your parents who is just very charming and so on were both your parents kind of that personality or yeah what did you grow up around so my family was a little bit of father knows best if you can recall that old tv show you know my dad was mostly the provider he was very gentle and intentional when he spoke, there was a purpose. You know, my parents never raised their voice. I never saw them fight. I remember discipline was, I should spank you for this, 
but let's talk about it. Next time if you do this, you're going to get a spanking. And I never did it again, right? It was like, okay, the voice of reason, you know, that fear of the pain on the bottom. And, you know, it was always, let's talk about it. What's the life lesson? Let's move on from here. And, you know, my mom was always very supportive. My dad was supportive. She owned several different businesses. um, And he was always very supportive of her and whatever she wanted to develop. But, you know, they knew from an early time in their marriage that working together probably wasn't going to be the best fit for them. And so they were very supportive of each other's businesses. So I really love the concept of, I should spank you for this, but let's talk about it. So now that you're a coach and you have your clients who are really just not doing the right things. Do you use that line on them? I should spank you for this, but let's talk about it. (laughs) Um, I think I modify that, you know, because as a coach, I can't do the work for them. I can't get the result for them. All I can do is help motivate them. And, you know, I don't find that motivation through fear or threats is very helpful. And so you really have to dig deep and find out what's that emotional trigger that's going to cause them to want to take action? Or what is that fear that's holding them back? You know, because so many times the things that hold us back are from those conversations that we had as a kid. And if there's a fear of being successful, you know, that came from maybe perfectionism that was expected of you as a child and how do you work through that how do you get to the root to be able to help them get to the other side of what's on that fear so digging digging down and finding that that pain point that source mm-hmm. that is a metaphorical spanking it's like wake up guys you know <laughs> let's, let's go and find out what's really causing this right so i want to talk about marketing for a minute just moving on mm-hmm If we spend more than five minutes on the internet, somebody is going to connect with us and tell us that we need to find our target audience with the right offer. We need to smack them a little bit so that they can feel the pain. Um, So we have to give them a metaphorical spanking online. Mm -hmm. And then they will see that they need us and they will sign up and pay us a, a gazillion dollars to work with them. Right. What do you do differently to that? Because that seems to be what everybody is doing today. Right. So, um, you know, I have been in this online space since 2008. And the biggest challenge that I have seen coaches specifically, entrepreneurs generally, is being able to get in front of the right audience. And one of the things that people don't normally do is create a highly defined avatar. They stop with the demographics. They stop by saying, I work with women between 38 and 42 who are going through a life transition. That's my market. And so my question back is, well, is the transition a woman who is just having a new baby? Is it a woman who lost a baby to miscarriage? Is it a woman who lost a breast to cancer? Is a a woman going through a divorce? Is it a woman who lost her spouse in, you know, a military accident? Is it a woman who lost a child due to illness? 
all of those are transitions, but the message that goes to each of those people are remarkably different. And if you go out and you try and talk to all of those people with one message, nobody's going to hear you. And so we really talk about having that highly defined avatar and using the psychometrics, using data to be able to identify who that person is so you know what's going on in their life. What is their emotional trigger? Are they being driven by grief? Are they being driven by hope? What makes them say yes? And then, because so many things are changing on social media platforms and going into define a customized audience, tools have been taken away and taken away and taken away. And so really what you're doing in many instances is trying to talk to all of those people through what you're able to customize on a standard social media platform. So we partner with a a data scientist company. They do data mining. And we take all of this information that we glean from our clients, we drill it down, we give all of that information to our mining team, and they go out and they find the client that fits that avatar. And then what we do is we start excluding people, right? Because that's what marketing is all about. You're excluding the people that are not your ideal person. And so through a series of surveys, we start to refine and define that avatar to be exactly who that coach wants to work with. And so we look at it a bit as a pre-qualification process. So I'm able to narrow down people who can afford to pay for your high-ticket item. I narrow down people who are interested in your product or service. And then I deliver that audience. Typically, it's between 100 and 150,000 people that are in a deliverable audience. All of these audiences are then fully uploaded into a social media platform. And so, it one, it saves you time and energy from going out and trying to connect organically with people. It saves you time from the social media platform having to learn who it thinks your ideal client is. And it saves you money because you're no longer advertising to bots and fake accounts, which comprise about 30% of profiles on Facebook right now. And so you're able to really target your market, I'm sorry, your messaging to your specific market. And you know that these people are already interested. So because you're really talking to a very warm audience, you're able to convert at a higher rate. And it takes so much of the guesswork out of the process. I don't know if you have heard this, but through most of the coaches that I work with, they spend 70 to 80% of their time creating content and marketing in some fashion, and only 20% of their time coaching. And so this is really able to flip the script, take less time to go through your marketing efforts, and focus more time on on coaching clients and creating those transitions that they really got into coaching to do. So somebody's looking for Ms. Goodbar, what do they look like? What, what are, you know, uh, who, what's your avatar and and Mm -hmm. what, what pain have they suffered or what, what uh, transitions are they going through? Sure. So our avatar is a 
business coach, an executive coach, a leadership coach, a mindset coach, a personal development coach, or a sales coach who uses paid ads in their marketing strategy to find leads and increase more conversions. And so the people that we have worked with have done all the things. They've run ads unsuccessfully. They have measured things with the wrong metrics. They have focused on impressions instead of conversions. They have a following, but they're not the right following. They have partially defined their audience, but they still struggle with the belief that they can help everybody. And in fact, many of them are helping very few because they haven't been able to really target who it is that they want to work with. They're really good at what they do. They have a big heart. They want to serve. They want to change the world. But in order to do that, they need to be able to get in front of the right audience. So that seems like a much larger audience than the ones you're niching down for your clients. Because I, I mean, I, I, I can think of in my own <laughs> network of like a million people <laughs> who are in that space. Um, so, so how do you niche down within your own market to see, is it whether people are ready to work with you? Is it that they're, mm-hmm. they have the budget? What's, what, what defines them for you? Right. So we do go through a pretty extensive questionnaire for people to be able to work with us. They need to be able to be generating consistently at least $5,000 in their business. They need to have a proven offer. So there, we believe that you need to have the right audience, the right message, and the right offer to be able to use our audience so and, and be successful as a minimum. They need to be spending $2,500 a month in ad spend. They need to have the processes in place to be able to scale quickly. One of our clients in a 90-day period typically would close about 10 to 15 pieces of business. With our audience, when they first did their first launch, they closed 300 I'm sorry, 215 people. And so if you're accustomed to servicing 10 people a month and you jump to 200 people a month, there's a lot of pieces that you need to have in place. And so they need to be able to have a scalable business model and be able to have the tools in place to be able to onboard and service the the new spurt of growth that they potentially could be. Now, there's a lot of things that we can have conversations about. You don't have to market to the whole audience at once. You can segment them out and and scale at the rate that you would like to go to. So there's a lot of conversations that go on about what their specific goals are for growing their business, where they are now, where they want to be, and how they want to be able to handle all of that growth. So... Correct me if I've got the wrong read on this, but your business is is helping them to find clients yes. at scale through paid advertising. No, not no. exactly. So our done-for-you product is really about using data that defines their ideal avatar to put them in front of the right audience when they're advertising through paid platforms. So you you help them create the avatar and tell them where they can find these people, but then their growth is still through paid advertising. Well, that's one way. So 
I'm not telling them where to find their people. Mm -hmm. I'm delivering those people to them. So they get an audience filled with names, addresses. They know what their hobbies are. They know their income, their education. So all the things that they've defined, they get that information. They can then use it with a social seller. So instead of their social seller going out and looking for people by scaling through profiles, which you maybe get 20 data points, we use over 550 data points to create a highly defined avatar. So your social seller, instead of mining, now is building relationship and being able to invite people to a a conversion event or invite them into a one-on-one coaching. So they're actually selling to someone who's already been pre-qualified. And then you can invite people into your email list and be able to market to them through email. You get a telephone number, a cell phone, so you can text message them and do a, a, a text campaign. But the beauty of it is if they already use paid ads, they upload this group of people onto the platform. So let's say within the group, they know 80% of them are on Facebook, 20% are on LinkedIn, you know, 30% of the group are on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. They can market to them exactly where they know that they hang out in the type of language that they would use on each of those platforms. Okay, that, that's really interesting. So I'll, I'm old enough to remember back in the 80s when people used to lease mailing lists. Um, mm-hmm. This sounds like a really sophisticated version of the old okay. style mailing list. Well, let's address that because I want to be really clear that this is not a list. When I had my marketing business, I'm sorry, my mortgage business, we used to buy lists all the time Mm -hmm. from the title company. And I could go and I could buy a list based on, you know, whatever demographic I was looking for in a zip code, a city, a state, what have you. But every other mortgage company who wanted that list could get that list too. And so it was whoever got to the lead first would probably win the business. This is totally customized for you and your business. It isn't something that every business coach is going to get if they come to us. It's an eight-week process from start to finish, from defining and going through and eliminating through surveying and verifying people against real life records like property and death records. So it's highly sophisticated. I'd like to kind of take you back to 2016 and the presidential election. And the thought was through polling that Hillary Clinton was the lead runner in the presidential campaign. And then Donald Trump ended up winning. In 2018, there was an interview that was highly publicized and a company that you may recall called Cambridge Analytica was being interviewed. Cambridge Analytica used data to target a very specific audience. In this case, it was people who had not decided who they were going to vote for. And then through social media ads, they sent very persuasive targeted campaigns to sway people for one side or the other, right? It doesn't matter which side of the the voting you stood on, 
the data is what really mattered. And so back in 2018, we've been working on this for a long time, we said, if data can be used to sway a political campaign, can it not be used to sway people to purchase a particular item? Well, of course it can. Procter & Gamble uses it. Every major company uses it to dedicate the resources for their marketing for their particular product. Look at laundry soap. Some people use scented laundry soap. Some people use unscented. Some people use liquid. Some people use pods, right? Each one of those people has a different buying trigger, even though it's just laundry soap, right? The dynamics of their family, maybe there's allergies, maybe they just don't like floral scents. There's a lot of science that goes into that. And so we're bringing that science, that big business tool, to a smaller scale to be able to help coaches really scale their business. You know, it used to be people really desired to have a six-figure business. Now people are desiring to have a seven or eight-figure business. It can take a very long time if you're doing it all organically. And this is a, a great way to give your business a shot in the arm to get in front of an audience that you already have predetermined and to be able to pre-qualify them on the front end. Really nice talking with you, uh, Anza. I think what I find most compelling is that sort of 11-year-old explaining the microwave in, in terms that real folks could understand, like scrambled eggs and, and cake. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, is, is remarkable. I've never made cake in a microwave, but it's a novel idea. Don't do it. It's not Don't that great. It. Yeah. So, <laughs> but what I think is really interesting is, you know, the way that you are speaking about uh, psychographics and data and Cambridge Analytica and the really high level concepts. It's not unlike that sort of microwave, that little girl with the microwave. And, and that's really wonderful to kind of see in you and, and, um, and to feel how you're still on the cusp of innovation. So, who are you looking for uh, to reach out and where can they find you? Oh, awesome. Well, like I said before, we're looking to work with business coaches and personal development coaches, mindset performance coaches who are really looking to scale their business at, through the use of paid ads, whether they need help defining their audience to get in front of the right people or if they already have that drilled down and they're just looking to get in front of more people more quickly, we would love to have a conversation and help them scale their business. They can find me by searching Anza Goodbar anywhere on the web they're going to find me. They could go to our website, which is audientum.com. And if they'd like to schedule a call, we've got a link on the site where they could get with myself or one of our curation teams. Really wonderful to have you here. It's been a pleasure chatting about microwaves and all the good things <laughs> and uh, in, so in, in speaking about your that family business I, I gosh what a what an amazing image to have in mind and uh, yeah thanks for spreading that with us thank you so much for having me thank you Anza that that story about the microwave I, I, I have this vision in my head of you teaching housewives how to cook in a microwave and that by itself is not a big deal but you were like 11 years of age when you were doing that i mean that's crazy that's such an amazing image i love it 
Now, dear listeners, as as Randy is wont to call you, uh, dear listeners, if you are thinking about putting some aluminum foil in your microwave because you just want to watch it spark. (laughs) I I think I'm supposed to say something there. I think it's supposed to be don't. Don't do it. Well, don't do it. Uh, I was going to say, do something more effective with your time like you know make your make your life more important and profitable and go along to thoughtpartnergroup.com and have a look at what we've got going on now you got I it, get it. <laughs> boy i dropped the ball all right everybody give your microwave a big hug for us and uh, we'll see you the next time